Oh God, you are my God. Early I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in the dry and thirsty land where there is no water. If you'd like to stand and join us as the deer. I want to say good morning to everybody. 
We welcome you in all this heat, <laughs> and we're thankful for it. Uh, do we have any requests for prayer from anyone? Well, that may be a good thing. I know there's a lot going on. And I will just uh, have a reading on the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, from Matthew 5, 9. To have peace with God and to have the peace of God in our hearts is not enough. This vertical relationship must have a horizontal outworking or our faith is in vain. Jesus said that we were to love the Lord with all our hearts and our neighbors as ourselves. This dual love for God and others is like the positive and negative poles of a battery. Unless both connections are made, we have no power. A personal faith is normally useless unless it has a social application. <clears throat> a notable exception would be the thief on the cross who repented only moments before his death, and yet countless people have been touched over the centuries by his example of faith. If we have peace with God and the peace of God, we will become peacemakers. We will not only strive to be at peace with our neighbors, but we will be leading them to discover the source of true peace in Christ. Is the peace of Christ in your life overflowing to others? Our hope for today, what would it look like to have the peace of Christ in your life? Perhaps you would choose grace instead of the grudge you've been holding. Do an honest evaluation and seek peace in every area of your life. It sounds like a challenge. All right, let's bow our heads in prayer. Just thank God for the good things that he's done for us. Almighty God, we praise your name. We just thank you for the goodness. We thank you that you are the omnipotent God, that you are in control of what's going on. We just ask you to give us peace. We ask you to give us direction, to guide us, Lord, that we may glorify you, that we may that we may touch the lives of others and glorify you. We ask your protection and your grace in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all your lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. If you'd like to stand, I'm sorry the words aren't up there.
He is a great king over all the earth.
going to read um, from Ephesians this morning. Um, it's a little bit of a lengthy passage, but it's a good reminder for us all um, this morning. The armor of God. So it's Ephesians 6.10. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Thanks be to God. Daniel was one of the young men taken and transported to Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. And he had just received a vision of four beasts that God had given him. And we pick it up in the text in chapter 7, verse 9. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our gospel reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 16 through 19 and 25 through 30. To what can I compare this generation? Is it like children playing a game in the public square? They complain to their friends. We played wedding songs and you didn't dance. We played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. For John didn't spend his time eating and drinking and you say, he's possessed by a demon. The son of God on the other hand feasts and drinks, and you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever, and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Now, the Apostles' Creed, I thought we'd read together and it is actually in the bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified dead, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are the creator of the universe. And even though some folks think they're smart enough to see the edge, somehow it just keeps on being farther than they thought. So, and you own all that they can see, all that they can feel, all that they can't. And you allow us to have a part of it, Lord. You entrust it to us, as you did to the servants who were given the, 
given the talents. So Lord, we ask that we use them wisely. We use them in a way that would be pleasing to you and that we do so to further your kingdom so that others who may not know you today may know you tomorrow. Lord, because that is the greatest gift we can do is sharing you with others. This we ask in your son Jesus' name. Amen. streets are gold and there's a table with plenty room maybe we don't grow old and we got nothing to lose maybe in the promised land there's a choir when you walk through oh but i pray heaven is like rain on a tin roof Maybe the sun don't set and the waters don't rise Maybe we don't forget how to laugh like a child Maybe in the promised land we're all made for what we do Oh, but I pray heaven is like rain on a tin roof Washing away Washing away my sorrows, giving me faith, giving me faith to follow a new tomorrow. They tell me in the promised land there are mansions to choose. Oh, but I pray heaven is like rain on a tin roof. Maybe time stands still and the mountains just move And maybe we all have wings and there's only good news They say the living water is the fountain of youth Oh, but I pray heaven is like rain on a tin roof Washing away Good morning. Sure, slide one, please. 
Maybe the streets are gold and there's a table with plenty of room. Maybe we don't grow old and we've got nothing to lose. Maybe in the promised land there's a choir when you walk through. Oh, but I pray heaven is like rain on a tin roof. I've never been welcomed by a choir. But there was a large bicycle race that I uh, participated in in Wichita Falls, Texas. And the route meandered through the local Air Force base. And to the amazement of all of us riders as we raced through the streets, on one corner there were about 20 cadets assembled in their dress blues and they saluted us as we raced by and then shouted encouragement. I was humbled. I wanted to get off my bike and salute them. It was very gratifying. All the sounds we will hear in heaven, the shouting and the singing, will feel like rain on a tin roof. Comfort, elation, and boundless joy. I believe there will be angels standing at attention when we enter there. But nothing, absolutely nothing, will feel better than knowing that we are finally home. Embraced by the love of God. Embraced by family and friends who arrived before us. The singer and songwriter of the song you just heard grew up in Nigeria until age six. He was born, as I recall, a, a form of macular degeneration. So he had uh, maybe five to ten percent vision in his right eye. Glaucoma. It was glaucoma. That's right, glaucoma. Uh, his uncle had migrated to the United States and got a good job. So he sent for his nephew and brought him to America in hopes to save his left eye. And at 10 years of age, um, the singer's name is Blessing Offer. At 10 years of age, he was playing with a friend in the backyard and uh, the friend shot him with a high-powered water pistol, and it, uh, well, long story short, it, it cost him sight in his left eye. So he is presently completely blind. But Blessing Offer says the uh, African rains are typically soft, and rain on a tin roof reminds him of his family home the security, the warmth that he felt in his family home. He said, heaven to me will be the same feeling, the feeling of home. Arizona, much like Africa, is a place where we bless the rain. We give thanks for those winter and summer monsoons because those rains are life. And if you had a happy childhood, rain on the roof 
especially at night, was always comforting. It was the sound of shelter, safety, rest, the sound of home. Maybe the sun don't set and the waters don't rise. Maybe we don't forget how to laugh like a child. How do we know there will be laughter in heaven? Because God created us to laugh and to be joyful. Maybe in the promised land we're all made for what we do. Oh, but I pray heaven is like rain on a tin roof, washing away all my sorrows, giving me faith to follow a new tomorrow. Have you ever marveled at how fresh and new the earth smells after a good rain? It's marvelous. It is a heavenly rain that washes away our sorrows, washes away the sin that causes our sorrows. All those horrendous missteps and omissions that have caused us great sorrow. The essence of this song is this, give me faith, Lord, give me faith to follow into your new tomorrow. Give me faith to trust that your plan for my life is perfect, that your plan, O oh Lord, will make my life heaven on earth. They tell me in the promised land there are mansions to choose, that maybe time stands still and the mountains just move. Maybe we all have wings and there's only good news. And they say, he that is living water is the fountain of youth. Oh, but I pray heaven is like rain on a tin roof. What's this song really saying? It's saying mansions and eternal youth and every mountain moved in your life won't mean as much as the comfort and peace of being home, eternally home. It's saying, Lord, I know you can wash away all my sorrows right here and right now. I know you can make my life here on this earth a very real heaven. But I so long to be free of the struggle, to be home living in your brighter tomorrow. Several years ago, I was visiting a friend in uh, North Dakota. His father was in the hospital and uh, not expected to live. My friend was a farmer, a fifth generation farmer. We went to visit his father in the hospital, but he had slipped into a coma. So we went home and planned on visiting again the next day. I stayed over that night at my friend's house, and about 2 a.m. in the morning, I heard the phone ring downstairs. I was upstairs. I heard the phone ring, and uh, I heard my friend answer, okay, thank you. The house was full of people that night, and we all knew that his father had passed. And immediately after my friend hung up the phone, there began a soft, gentle rain. I was in the upstairs bedroom. I could hear every drop. 
And I said, Lord, that's you. You sent the rain to remind us that not one of your children passes from this life without your notice. The next morning when we all got up, my friend had only this to say. Did you hear the rain last night? Dad must have put in a good word for us. It was a couple of years later that I told my friend that his father had accepted Christ as Lord of his life two weeks before he died. My friend seemed shocked because he had always believed that since his dad had attended church for 50 years, sat in the same pew for 50 years, that somehow his dad was guaranteed heaven. And I told my friend, your dad was a good man. One of the kindest, most generous, gentle men I have ever known. If any man could make it to heaven based on his good works, your dad would be that man. But the Bible says good works won't get you to heaven. Only a personal relationship with Jesus Christ will gain you entrance to God's heaven. I was very blunt with him. I said, Richard, I hope you see heaven when this life is over. But I'm afraid you're like uh, one of the people in the parable that Jesus talked about who were waiting to enter the wedding feast, waiting on the groom, but did not bring enough oil in their lamps. And at the last minute, late in the night, they ran out of oil and had to run to town and wake up the shopkeeper to buy more oil. But when they returned, the wedding feast had commenced and the gates were closed and locked. And all they could do was peek through the cracks of the door and listen to the merriment from outside in the dark. I said, Richard, you need to get very serious about your relationship with Jesus Christ or you'll be looking through the cracks in the door just like these people. He just smiled at me, said nothing. And then I told him, I said, Richard, your father sat in the same pew for 50 years, thinking that he knew a thing or two about Jesus, but never really knew him until two weeks before he died. My friend Richard died last year. He was the grandfather of my two youngest daughters. I know he called a local pastor to his bedside just before he died. But I'm still not certain of whether or not I'll see him in heaven. I'm still not certain that he made a profession of faith before he died. And the scriptures are very clear. No one enters God's heaven other than through Jesus Christ. But I know my Father God is gracious and full of mercy, and I truly hope my friend made a profession of faith. 
Yeah, in the promised land, there are mansions for you and me. But I pray, heaven is like rain on a tin roof. The only way you will ever truly be comforted by rain on a tin roof is if you know the God who sends that rain. If you know the God who provides every roof. If you know the God who saves every soul who calls on His name. But you have to call on His name. And that name is Jesus. There are so many people who think they don't have to call on that name, who think they don't need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They risk an eternity in hell because they've been told that God is merciful to sinners. And truly He is. If you call on His name and then follow. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, make us ever mindful that as C.S. Lewis said, all the people we meet in a day, they're headed to one of two places. They're headed to God's glorious heaven or they are headed to the horrors of hell. And whatever interaction we have with them may very well determine which destination they go to. Remind us, Lord, of the importance of every conversation we have in the course of our day, especially with strangers. Make us ever aware, Lord, that we hold the light. We hold the truth. We are little keepers of the promise. But if we don't share that promise, people will be lost. Father, speak to us this morning through your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes, open our ears to hear every word you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. My sermon this morning, <clears throat> as you might guess, rain on a tin roof. Our text is Acts 4, 21 through 34. Last week we read in Acts chapter 4 of how Peter and John had been arrested by the leaders of the synagogue for preaching in Jesus' name. You will recall that Peter and John had encountered a lame man at the gate beautiful and through the power of the Holy Spirit had raised him up, healed him of a lameness that he had had since birth. And at this, a large crowd gathered because this man was, as you might imagine, jumping up and down with joy. The leaders of the synagogue and the Sadducees were enraged that Peter was preaching that the power in the name of Jesus Christ had healed this man. And at their tribunal, the Jewish leaders threatened Peter and John, and Peter responded boldly 
by preaching to them there is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. The Greek word in this passage translated into English as boldly means to tell everything, tell it all. Peter was excited to have an opportunity to preach to the leaders of Israel that Jesus was and is and will always be Messiah. So we pick up the story, Acts chapter 4, verse 21. Slide 2, please. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign. The healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. And when they heard the report, catch this, when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together corporately in prayer to God. Vocal corporate prayer is powerful. We need to do more of it. Vocal corporate prayer doesn't mean 20 different people praying 20 different prayers all at the same time. It means one person leads and the rest of us pray with them in agreement. The entire congregation in agreement saying amen, either out loud or under your breath. And this becomes one voice, one spirit, and everyone in one accord. This is Holy Spirit unity. Organization is not unity. You can have a thoroughly organized church and not have unity. When the scripture says they held all things in common, this is unity. All things in common. This is love squared. This is love to the seventh power which has nothing to do with organization. You can't do for God until you receive from God. You can't be a blessing of God until you have been blessed by God. You can't pass on that which you have not received. Therefore it is critical that we seek our blessings every day in prayer and in the word so we can pass it on. The believers lifted their voices together and prayed, O sovereign Lord. In the Greek, this word is despotis. It's where we get our word despot. It means power that cannot be questioned. O Lord, O Sovereign Lord, Creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. This is prophecy. Peter is preaching prophecy. This is God speaking through Peter's prayer. You can't prophesy without being filled with the Spirit. But when we pray, we should pray how Peter is praying here. We start our prayer with praise. O Sovereign Lord. Lord, King of the universe. God doesn't need our affirmation of His majesty. 
we need the affirmation. We need to remind ourselves just how great our God is. Slide three, please. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, saying, why are the nations so angry? Peter's quoting Psalm 2. He's quoting scripture. We need to quote scripture when we pray, especially when we're claiming promises of healing, forgiveness, of power. And again, we don't need to remind God of what he has said. We need to remind ourselves of what he has said. Back to Psalm 2. Why do the nations waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. Peter goes on, in fact, this has happened here in this very city. Slide four, please. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, and the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. History repeats itself. Not only was this prophecy fulfilled during the reign of Herod Antipas, when Rome and Israel conspired against Jesus, but it will be fulfilled again and more fully during the tribulation. This will happen at the battle for Jerusalem, also known as Armageddon, Revelation 18. But do you realize what Peter is praying for here in verse 29? Slide five, please. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. What's Peter really asking for here? What he's really asking for is, Lord, give us more persecution so we can be bolder. Make your power even more manifest. Are we brave enough to pray that prayer? Give us more persecution so your name may be magnified. Peter is saying, if more trouble reveals your mighty power, then bring us more trouble. Hallelujah. I want that kind of boldness. You have stretched forth your mighty hand to heal this man. Now reveal even more of your mighty hand. This is Holy Spirit boldness. Peter has quoted the first two verses of Psalm 2 and how they were fulfilled when Rome and Israel conspired to put Jesus to death. But what does the rest of Psalm 2 prophesy? Let's look at that. The entire tone of Psalm 2 is God 
is in control. Absolute control. Today, tomorrow, forever, God is in total control of every nation and every people group. From Vladimir Putin all the way down to the lowest ranks of the Russian army, God is in control. Nothing touches your life that is not first filtered through the matrix of God's perfect will for your life. I'll say that again. Nothing touches your life that is not first filtered through the matrix of God's perfect will for your life. There is no happenstance in God. If you believe this, fully believe this, God will bring unspeakable peace to your life. Slide six, please. Psalm 2, 2 through 12. The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry. Does this sound like Babel? Let us free ourselves from slavery to God. We see this fulfilled every evening on the 6 o'clock news. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem. On my holy mountain. Jesus inherited this throne at his incarnation. But his coronation will be at his second coming. Slide seven, please. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. This is Father God speaking of Jesus' incarnation. Only ask and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. Only Jesus can fulfill this prophecy and he will at his second coming. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Now then you kings act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. This is a warning for today. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son. King James says, kiss the son, or he will be angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities. For his anger flares up in an instant. But what joy for all who take refuge in him. This is a synopsis of St. John's revelation relating to Jesus' second coming. And how do we prepare for Jesus' second coming? Slide 8, please. Acts 4.31 After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with boldness. You can't preach with boldness unless you are first filled with the Holy Spirit. When this church building shakes, 
then we'll know we are doing all that God requires. I've told you this before. When God appeared to Elijah on Mount Sinai, the mountain shook. There was an earthquake. When God is in the house, the house shakes. Verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own. How do you feel about what you own? So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully. How do you testify powerfully? To the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. How do we testify powerfully? You have to be filled with the Spirit. What's the path to God's great blessing? Verse 34. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Slide nine, please. How do we secure God's great blessing? Number one, we allow the Holy Spirit to unite us in heart and mind. Number two, we share our possessions, our time, our energies. Number three, we share our faith with all we meet. This is the path to God's great blessing. And note that it's corporate. It's corporate. All of us united together. The same mind, the same spirit, the same outreach. Why? Because we're a family. The family of God. Let us pray. Father God, forgive us. We give lip service to this idea of being totally united, to this idea of sharing all we have, sharing of our time, not just our wealth, not just our provision, but our time. And forgive us, Lord, we tend to be pretty stingy about sharing our time with you. But remind us, Lord, there is a mighty harvest. Time is short. And the fields are ripe for harvest. And we sit in our armchair and casually ask ourselves, oh, but what can I do? Help us listen, Lord. You have a long list for us to do. Help us listen. Help us get very serious about our faith. Very serious about sharing it. And I ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. For my benediction this morning, Isaiah 53:4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. From E.H. Peterson. The biblical revelation neither explains nor eliminates suffering. 
It shows rather God entering into the life of a suffering humanity, accepting and sharing that suffering. Scripture is not a lecture from God, with God pointing his finger at unfortunate sufferers and saying, I told you so. Here's where you went wrong. Now you're paying for it. That's not the case. Nor is it a program from God providing step by step for your gradual elimination of suffering in a five year plan. There is no progress from more to less suffering. The suffering is simply there. And where there is suffering, God is. Children, near 